0: uh, my guest today is chris schultz uh, who was for uh, you know name might be familiar he was the uh, he was a senior writer at the spin off uh, until quite recently and just an incredible uh, i guess the, you'd call it an entertainment journalist he writes about pop culture uh, with a real he's got a real story sense he's got a sort of encyclopedic knowledge of film, television, and music in particular. It's music that we're talking about today. He's he's since gone on to be investigations editor at Consumer but still writes Boiler Room, a Substack, which, you know, it's really like a product of whatever is buzzing around in, in Chris's brain uh, in terms of the, the sort of music pop culture kind of space. And he's been on a real tear with New Zealand Music and New Zealand Music Journalism. He and I have very similar uh, backgrounds in some respects. Both of us started out sort of desperate to claw our way into writing about um, music. He he wrote, was writing for Rip It Up at the same time I was uh, writing for Real Groove. He took a different path. He went into to staff, wrote about entertainment there, and ultimately uh worked on in the Herald's Entertainment section and on Time Out as a magazine. And he talks about, and this even when he so he left the Herald in 2019, this is four years ago we're talking about, and at that time there were six people working on Time Out, which is a a NIM, a newspaper inserted magazine that came out on a Thursday with a smaller edition on a Saturday that basically was a a clearinghouse for uh anything any any writing on music television film uh pop pop culture more broadly it had features it had reviews it had news and it was it like everyone in in music you know when i was as long as i was in the industry and and subsequently read time out and it was you didn't always agree with what were either the prominence of things or or the or you know how many stars or have you got, but you just you were there because uh that that's you need it felt like um it was unimaginable that it couldn't exist if you were in the business in Auckland at the time because you need something that is a kind of a fulcrum around which everything else pivots so as he describes in this the there's this relationship between. Timeout and radio stations and and you know blogs and and now basically since then and and Chris attributes it to COVID and I think COVID might well have been the thing that sort of broke uh, music journalism in this country when we we had no music uh, and we had these very uncertain times in the same way that radio sport was shut down by NZME, it was it it was very easy to kind of break these uh, these teams up and you know they were doing that for rational business reasons but what it means is it feels like there's a bit of a hole where that pipe of new artists and established artists that have got a new story to tell whether it's about a, a record or or something else well, Where where does that happen and I'm conscious I'm so conscious and we, we talk about this on the show like how much of this is just two old war horses of the entertainment business kind of lamenting that the world has changed, which you bring uh, Samuel, our producer, and who's, who's a freshly minted 23-year-old to to discuss and challenge that perspective. And there is definitely something in that. But there is a, you know, I've, I've been talking to, to people in, in music in New Zealand for a while now. Um, there's a piece I, I want to write in the coming weeks that basically about that That sort of sense of where where discovery and chronicling and the sort of criticism and all those things that used to be provided by a myriad publications where where that that happens now and as chris points out there there are a number of uh sites blogs platforms that 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 do perform that but um and they're they're all uniformly excellent but the in the the big shows whether that's television, uh, or print that the, the big mainstream media platforms, which do have aging audiences that they just, it's not there the way it was. And it might just be that this is just evolution. And we have to accept that reviews no longer have the same importance that they once did in the streaming era. And, People don't never did need maybe a, a sort of fifteen hundred word profile of a, of an emerging artist. You know, it was that that role has been taken um, by by artists own direct relationships through social media. I'm very open to that argument, but I'm not certain that we haven't lost something real along the way. And more to the point, we are continuing to do a lot of the other stuff we used to do. The big thing that's missing or that is gone is that. So, look, this is not a conversation for everyone. But if if you're a, a fan of, or someone who has grown up reading, or, or even creating uh, cultural pop cultural writing, or, or feels that absence, then this conversation might well be for you. Uh, so, this is Chris Schultz of Consumer, but also of his excellent Substack Boiler Room on the Fold. Kia ora Chris, welcome to The Fold. Kia ora Duncan. It's great, to, it's great to see you again. I wonder if we could start by just going back to the start of your career and how you got into entertainment writing in the first place.
1: Uh, yeah, that's, well that's going back right to the, the start. I grew up in Wanganui, uh, you know we had no music, no concerts, nothing. I think there was a Jimmy Barnes concert at the Cook's Gardens one time that I didn't go to in my 17 years there. Uh, so my introduction was me- to music was diving under the, the duvet late at night when I was supposed to be asleep and listening to the Top 9 at 9 from 2XSFM and Palmerston North and listening to Soundgarden and Pill Jam and Nirvana and, and then buying the music magazines that were available. What were they? RTR Countdown magazine and rip it up and I would just, I'd memorise them, I'd, I'd follow my favourite writers, I would read them over and over again and I would like dream of the day that I could go to the concerts, go to the festivals that they were talking about because yeah, it was like the one thing I would do to take me out of growing up in Whanganui.
0: So you always felt like a sort of an alien, that, that, that kind of classic trope of, of, of someone who didn't necessarily feel it. Feel like they fit in, and music felt like it was the thing that that spoke to you, and kind of you, you could find your identity in.
1: Hundred percent. It was it was an introduction to another world that I had no part of. I couldn't get access to until I was sixteen, and me and two mates saved up our money, bought Pill Jam tickets, went up to Auckland on the overnight train, and went to Pill Jam, and that was when just I was like, fuck. I need to go to this every day for the rest of my life and that was it really yeah so um I mean there were a few years of fucking around at university not knowing what I was going to do and then mum one day suggested I think she I think we'd watch Superman the Superman movie together and I was like I don't know what I'm going to do mum and she's like journalist <laughs> cuz Superman's a journalist right Clark Kent. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Then I could write about music. And so I enrolled in like, I don't know, four different journalism courses, got rejected from Auckland, rejected from Wellington. It
0: used to be so competitive. Like that's the thing that sort of I I, I feel like now – where we're, as an industry, just sort of ravenous for anyone who will even kind of glance at us. Back then, it was like a mission just to get into a course, let alone get a job out the back The course in of Auckland
1: it. had actual journalists going to it. It was like TVNZ reporters who'd already been doing journalism, then going to university. Like, they were blocking us out of it. So, yeah, I managed to get into the New Plymouth one with Jim Tucker and moved down to New Plymouth for nine months and studied there. And then... Got my first job at the North Shore Times advertiser and just went, I've got to do something about this. So I emailed Rip It Up magazine. Scott Carra was the editor at the time. Lovely guy. They were in a D72 building on Dominion Road. And I would go up there once a month. He'd give me a stack of CDs. And that was the highlight of my month.
0: We like, had basically identical I uh, Mine was the same with John Russell at Real Grove at, yeah. I, at the exact same time. And you would assume these are unpaid reviews, right? Totally. You were paid in CDs, which you might be able to trade for five bucks at Real Groovy, and it still felt you had, like you had not made it.
1: I put more effort into those reviews than anything I've ever done in my life. I agonised over every word, just was desperate for, I mean, Scott to acknowledge them and publish them, and then also just to be involved in the scene, you know, and it sort of just grew from there. But, like, that was the thing back then, right? Like... You could choose not just to be a music journalist, but you could choose which kind of music you wanted to cover. Yeah. If you wanted to cover rock and pop, it was Rip It Up. If you wanted to cover alt and hip hop, it was Real Groove. If you wanted to cover dance and electronic, you had Pavement and Remix and Pulp. And like it was,
0: it was there was it was such a yeah. And that's kind of what I want to get into because you've been writing in in Boiler Room lately about and this this sort of absence of there, there is no kind of central place where. It feels like music is litigated, so certainly for people who came up in the era uh, and the, the system that we did. And uh, before we get into that, I want to kind of describe the ecosystem as we both basically found it on arrival. So you, you know, you, you just described the, the the sheer number of of music magazines, like, and that's that's where music was the main or only thing they talked about without even getting into the the sort of pavements and, and these things that had music as part of their repertoire. It was just, there was so much uh, coverage that that was, was there. What what do you, in terms of the relationship between the, the media and the media that it sort of scrutinized or interacted with, how did that, that work? Because it's one thing to be writing reviews of CDs, it's another to be, you know, to get that step closer to the artist that you're describing.
1: Yeah, uh, well, for me, it was 9-11. I was at the North Shore Times Advertiser. Uh, we weren't allowed to watch it. They made us turn our TVs off. Uh, it was deadline day. And so we all sat on the stuff.co.nz website watching that unfold. And I, I remember sitting there going, I need to be online. That's where the most immediate stuff is happening. Uh, so... I managed to get a job. I went down and interviewed, got a job there. It was a lovely editor, this is a hardcore American woman called Christine Garcia. Uh, she was running it. It was tucked into the corner of the Dominion Post building. No one gave a shit about it.
0: So you very deliberately, you, you felt the heat of the internet
1: and yep. were like, I've got to get closer to that. that. That's the
0: thing that's coming. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. And so there were like seven or eight people working on stuff at that point, tucked into the corner of this earthquake-prone building on Bulcott Street next to the sports department. And I remember the first week they trained me up on a CMS and they went, um, oh, look, nothing's been put into the entertainment section for two weeks. Let's update <laughs> that. And I was like, wait, what? I could just sit here and fill the entertainment section and let's see how those stats go. And there's, there's, there's no one watching
0: you. You know, if it, it just it, you're doing it live,
1: we we just trial-trialled everything. Like we got a video camera and went down to the King Kong premiere and interviewed. Suddenly, there's me, what two and a half years out of journalism school, interviewing Peter Jackson with a microphone on the red carpet, like next to all of the TV crews. Uh, you know, it was crazy. We oh, and then then I remember pitching like we Should do live concert coverage. What if I went to the big day out and just provided updates back to the newsroom? We did a rolling blog, and so I came up, I couldn't believe it. I'm walking around the big day out with a Blackberry at a music festival, being paid to be there.
0: So that, that like the the teenager from Whanganui oh, yeah. is just is running
1: from ear to ear. And did what did
0: you have sort of? Analytics, we, we could do a whole podcast on them, but to, how conscious were you of the success or failure of, of your coverage?
1: Well, yeah, online right from the start, that was huge. We'd be looking at what was working and doing more of that. Mm. And the big day out blog, I remember the first one, more people read that than were actually at the festival. Wow. And I, I, that's when I remember the editor going, okay, we need to. We need to go in that direction. We need to do more of this. You know, everyone who couldn't go to the big day out was reading it and then people afterwards were going back and, and reading how the day unfolded.
0: And that's what's interesting though, right? So what you're talking about is the early stage of journalism online in, in New Zealand and music being incredibly popular to the point where it naturally should, according to the, the immutable logic of analytics, get more resource uh, and here we sit now knowing that you know and this is what you've been writing about that the number of specialist kind of single issue music journalists in New Zealand is well, I mean it's it's less than 10 it's probably less than five right like it's
1: really I don't think we have any full-time music journalists at any major news publications anymore rnz accepted right rnz but i'm talking about sort of print
0: yeah so if you think about print publications which is where you know where where there would have been dozens historically like the time that you're talking about and i guess like what i want to dig into is, is is two things like one sort of how how it happened and then two uh what what has been lost?
1: Uh, you know the how is easy, yeah, I think.
0: yeah, yeah. well, so so let's let's talk about the how because there there is there is a a contradiction in what you're saying in some respects, and that uh, if it's so popular, why mm. is there not you know because there there, there there are less journalists overall, but they haven't gone to sort of zero the way that music has.
1: It's it's COVID. It's hundred percent COVID. It's uh, you know if you look, and, and this is the best example for me. It's we haven't talked about Time Out magazine at the Herald yet. That was a weekly insert on Thursdays, and then like a mini version in the Saturday paper.
0: That was a big part of your career. Was was as a major contributor to that?
1: I think the the peak of it, right? Like I was at stuff on my own the whole time. No one, no one, sort of. You know, I was campaigning to get more reporters all the time and I'd pitch it all the time and they were like, no, you're, you're doing good. We don't want to do that. And so Time Out was like, okay, there's, there's people over there. There's a team of people putting do, thought into it, having discussions every week about what we should and shouldn't cover and I desperately wanted that.
0: Describe the like the the scale of that, that team and what you put out.
1: Yeah. <sighs> uh. See, this is where I get emotional because there were six say of us. Was yeah. There were six of us, just every week, deciding what was awesome, and we all had our own patches. And so, you know, you'd have these amazing debates. Like, you know, someone would pitch one artist or act or TV show or movie, and someone else would pitch something. It's like, what are we putting on the cover? What are we reviewing? It was this constant uh, search for the biggest, hottest newest, uh, most exciting thing, and it happened, like, every day. Um, And, I, yeah, I got to be a part of that. I got to help mentor some of the younger staff coming through too, and that felt really healthy and how it should be when you start getting to the age I am.
0: Why do you think it's COVID? Because I'm curious, because I I have, like, a bunch of – to me it's a lot of different things. Like, in some – like, the – you know, to, to me, if I was trying to to advance a theory of it, it would be a complicated one that involves, like I think food has replaced music as the sort of centre of the the sort of obsessive cultural life of mm. a whole group of people who used to naturally be like on music and food was like a thing that you put in so that you could go listen to more music. Yeah. And now I think it's sort of inverted. So yeah, there's that element of the culture. I think that the sheer proliferation, there's an overwhelm associated with when you move from a constant emphasis on new music, which is what you had in the CD era, to a here's all music all the time, there's some being put somewhere in the pipe, but you're not necessarily exposed to it. There's like a distribution side, a supply side problem and a distribution side problem. Like, and all of these things have conspired to make, to me, paradoxically, the role of the critic or the editor or the person sorting that is more important than ever. But Mm -hmm. there isn't the, we don't have the, that ability to kind of connect with new artists and have them explain to us the way that they used to be done, that the, the sort of channels aren't, aren't there, and that stuff is all conspired to kind of make music feel, while it's very much in the culture, it's the, the, that sense of new music is just not as salient as it was when we were growing I up. I have
1: this conversation with people all the time. People our age still want to know what's happening, what's, what's big, what's rising to the top, and I think... I think that's where a place like Time Out is, is sorely missed because you have these stepping stones for artists, right? They go from uh, the sort of, you know, the under the radars, the sniffers, the ambient lights, the 13th floors, and they sort of build that buzz slowly. They they do more gigs. They, they get bigger audiences. And then someone at a place like Time Out notices that and goes, hey, look, there's this swelling of support for this artist let's put them in time out and then like six months a year later the album's coming out and you go well are they worthy of a cover so they they build that stepping stones and then and this i think is the important bit competition sees that and goes okay they're covering it this must be worth covering in the dominion post in sunday magazine in viva you know there's there's other editors who see that. Also, like TV shows and radio shows would also pick up timeout and go. Okay, we should have them on our show. Look, they've they've got a timeout cover. They're important.
0: But basically, what you're describing is a whole ecosystem which is which used to be where the action was. Mm-hmm. Which used to be the sort of the only really dis- distribution kind of clearinghouse for culture, which is now, you know, that's now moved definitively to social and streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I feel this absent absence too, right? Even as we, you know, we're, we're sitting in the podcast studio of the spinoff, a new media publication that doesn't have a full-time music, right? It mm-hmm. sometimes publishes on music, but certainly not in the kind of ongoing systematic way that Time Out um, represented for The Herald. But do you, you know, is it just that we're, we're sort of old men shaking our fists at clouds? That, that this stuff is happening, but it's happening you know, through Mm. particular accounts on TikTok, Instagram and and playlists. Like, is that what's happened? Totally.
1: Yep. You can go find a lot of probably what you want to find on there. Artists are sharing their own stories now that way. I I talked to Rodney Fisher from Good Shirt about that, and that's how he promoted his latest album because he couldn't get interviews out there. I think, yeah, I've wrestled with this, and I think that when a newspaper – or a website or a magazine stops covering artists, New Zealand artists I'm talking about, um, that, you know, they're saying this isn't as important as the other things we're covering. If you don't see... So take Ernie Bell, for example. She's incredible. She's releasing a debut album next week. If, if you don't see her on the pages of The Herald or of stuff next to All Blacks, politicians, business, whatever, then you're saying it's not as important and I think that's that's the big loss there. It, it's it's almost like a a statement, right? Like this this just doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that that's the the thing that's really kind of confounding. I, I was talking to a, a musician recently about this. You know, someone who is. Probably ten, fifteen years younger than us, but came up as a teenager reading, probably reading our writing to be honest. I was reading those kind of publications and um, was a fan of New Zealand music almost as if it was a genre and that was that was a lot of us right like we we had the music we were into, but there was something about the music that came from this place. and then the the thing that happened, so with all of the, the those platforms I mentioned before, the you know the the Spotify, YouTube, uh, TikTok, etc. et cetera their geography is far less relevant as a sorting mechanism than uh, the newspapers just all have a natural geography to them so you know while uh, you know our our politics all all the rest of it that is still mainly cleared through these kind of traditional Mm. um, mediums that are geographically bound as soon as they shift to their New Zealand artists are just playing the same global soup as everyone else they might find success in a very distributed way but there isn't that kind of without that that place where it can all sort of happen and they can be almost anointed the way that they were and there were issues with that system don't get me wrong then they yeah it's it's like they didn't like I'm trying to think of like like what what is an like an Ernie Bell is a classic example of a a fascinating new, new artist who doesn't have the same name recognition that, say, an Aldous Harding, who just came – it was quite a similar area but just Mm -hmm. came up – happened to come up six or seven years earlier. So why
1: doesn't she have the same recognition? Is that because she's not getting the coverage that uh, someone like Aldous Harding had seven or eight years ago when that infrastructure was in place? Or, yeah, I I don't know. It's a a tough question. You're right. There are artists who are making this work and they probably don't care that they're not getting interviews. There are artists who are hitting those streaming services – and they're buying houses because of it. I know that because I've I've talked to them. Uh, I interviewed a couple of rappers for the spin-off a while back. Sempra uh, was one of them and and they're just loving life because they they're hitting those streaming numbers. So yeah, you're right. There are other avenues. Artists can make it without without talking to journalists and and having stories written about them. For me, it comes back to like I almost like had a sense of, you know, like documenting history. You know, you can have all the TikToks and Instagram reels in the world, but um, you can't go and search for them 10, 15 years later. that No one's compiling those into a a, a thing. They're
0: they're not going to become a Wikipedia entry. No. All of this we're we're talking about is is the sort of Web 2.0 era, and we're moving – Beyond that, and it can feel at times, you know. We've got Samuel here recording it and uh, <laughs> uh, rec- recording us 23 on Monday. Happy birthday, Samuel. And like, uh, I'm sort of just imagining how this must sound, you know, to a couple of guys near, near twice as. Can we age. ask him? Yeah, would you come on and just say, like, does this stuff? matter to
1: you? Um, yeah, I think there's not that appetite for, for journalism. And I do agree with what you're saying is you need that documented. I think that's the kind of the role of journalism in this whole thing is you need 10 years down the track something tangible. But I do think I get my promotion directly from the source now, you know, like if an mm-hmm. artist I like has a new song coming out, th- their promotion for it's going to show up on my TikTok feed before any journalist even gets to speak to them, that's going to be the first place they go is publishing their own work. That's kind of the crux
0: of it, right? Like, who's this for? Is is it for us and people who remember and enjoyed that old world? Or or, or are the artists missing it too? Because that's almost more relevant.
1: You'd have to ask the artists. I, am, I have been doing that and I have future stories coming up about that. I want to talk to younger artists about sort of how many interviews they've done and whether they consider that as a, an important part of their their growth and their career. Um, do people want this? I mean, I would just point to my tiny little newsletter over the past 10 days, and uh, it's, it's grown so much. I've had so many people reach out and say, thank you, and, um, you know, why aren't more people doing this? And, you know, the... the 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 vibe around it is please keep doing this. I've got people paying me and I'm I'm you know, I work full time. I've got two kids. This is just something I'm doing in my spare time. Can we can we just so let's just, let's just do
0: a little plug, because I think Boilerin is such a fantastic product. And <laughs> um you. and I I also think that the the urgency and the openness and the reflection that has been in your coverage of this. I mean, that's why I reached out and I think it's it's it, it's Important Because what you are describing, as much as this is just two old war, <laughs> war horses kind of reminiscing about the old days, it's, it is something that I've heard a lot about from other people in the music business, some older, some younger, like a, a keening sense of an absence. Do you want to just, just describe this little series that you've run, where it came from and, and, and the response to it?
1: Yeah, sure. I went to the Skrillex show. Uh, Way too old to be at the Skrillex show Loved the shit out of it It was incredible Um, Monday morning As as you do Before you start work, you have a coffee And you scroll through some headlines And I wanted to read some opinions on the Skrillex show Couldn't find any Uh, The next weekend Eden Festival Was held in the same place Uh, Wanted to go Couldn't, but wanted to know What it was like, that's a brand new music festival Uh with Lauren Hill and 660, huge headliners, um, couldn't find any coverage about it. And I, my brain kind of snapped at that point. I, I don't think I'd read too much coverage about um, the lack of music criticism, but yeah, that, that's when I blatted out a, a post in about 30 minutes and, and just sent it out and it sort of took off. And so that's sort of become an ongoing theme. I, I found it really uh, emotional to write those pieces because it, because of my history, and because you know this is a, a, an industry that um, gave me so much and got me out of Wanganui, stopped me from being a I don't know supermarket checkout operator or something. And I, I also I want kids who maybe can't afford to play an instrument or go to the lessons, but but shouldn't that be an option if they want to cover this stuff? I don't know that maybe that's just my my history and my. Thinking about it, but yeah, I, I I can't cover it too much in my newsletter because it, it gets too depressing for me. So I have to mix it up. I've deliberately started doing much more positive posts just to make it a, li- a little more uplifting. But um, inevitably, everyone I talk to, the conversation comes back around to you know where where um, you know where are the journalists, where is the coverage, uh, and if I can contribute just a little bit to that, then you know maybe I'll give it a shot and maybe that will grow into something where I can start nurturing some new talent coming through. That would be incredible. Your brain needs support and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health made with scientifically
0: backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nutropic chews at ollie.com. That's O L L Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Like many things in journalism, it's a it's a financial problem. If you were mm-hmm. if you had unlimited resources, like say an RNZ, not not that they have unlimited resources, but they have like a fixed pot of money and they can divide it according to what they consider to be the most important thing without. Uh, worrying about whether the thing pays its own way, like th- that's a very different mentality for a, a, a news organisation to have. Um, but yeah, you know, we have. For example, we we did have a full time music editor, uh, Henry Oliver, who now edits Metro. That was funded by Spark. It was a that was a passion project for me, selling that thing, and it took a long time to try mm. and find the right place. and And I was thrilled to do it. The reality is. It probably didn't perform as well as we might have anticipated like mm. I think we did exactly what we said we would do but you know you're writing about New Zealand music like that, that's what it has to be that's the differentiator for the spin-off we don't write really we, we review a, and, and comment on a few things internationally but the vast uh, majority mm. of our scope is, is local the the you know time out what well, that wasn't true like that that was that there was a lot of new zealand stuff but there was a lot of international mm-hmm. stuff too so that maybe was was part of it, it was it was over limited but there, there is this this issue where like maybe they you, when you're writing about new zealand stuff if you're doing it as an island if you don't have that sort of feeder system of a C, c4 and radio and if, if young people are more likely to give their attention to uh ugc platforms you know, yeah, you know, we actually published a piece. Charlotte wrote a fantastic feature on Ernie Bell very uh-huh. early in her career. I don't know what the numbers were, but I would guess that they were good but not great because it was a bit of an island at the time. And I think that's the the issue is that the the thing kind of the tide comes in and just washes away and washes away. And even if you sort of stand up and say, you know, Boiler Room can do fantastic stuff. We, you know, even if we were to be given a a full time music reporter, it would just be. Hard to necessarily. I, I get what you're saying. You know, this is this is the thing I struggle with. Is is
1: can, can it, it be recreated? It comes back to: is there a good story there? To me, right? Is there a story worth telling there? And that's what any journalist should be looking at some, something and, and asking. I I look at that all the time. I, I and if you, yeah, I, I spent twenty years trying to prove to editors that local music. And international music and any entertainment was worth covering, in a way. Um, if you do it, if you do it cleverly and with without doing it sensationally and without turning it into clickbait, there's a way of doing it that works alongside the rest of the coverage. Now, I, I went and looked at stuff in the New Zealand Herald's entertainment sections, and I don't want to call them out, but the Herald had seven Matthew Perry stories out of nine stories on entertainment the other, that, that,
0: that, that is analytics talking right
1: so you can have one Matthew Perry story mix it up, put in some local concert news put in an interview with an artist Do you know what I mean like like make it a make it an offering that's readable for a lot of different people otherwise yeah, you're just trying to hit the the Google clicks the I mean entertainment has algorithm. now been
0: subsumed into lifestyle in most um, big publications and that those six reporters that you were talking about in that glory days of of time out, that's probably one person who is just a general reporter just trying to hit numbers and putting a bunch of stories up. So, like, the thing that we're not talking about is the fact that you're maybe the best doing it in New Zealand (laughs) and you've you've got a full-time job at Consumer Heading Investigation. So, you know, like, the, the... It's a skilled task. It's not something you can just go, hey, cub reporter, go along to to Skrillex and have all of the context and the language uh, and the descriptive ability to just be able to turn that thing out. So when it does happen, often you wince because it doesn't feel like it's been given the right... You're right. It
1: it takes time and I I can't help but think about all of the 660 stories I've written, right? And I remember the first time I interviewed them, they didn't want to talk to me. They did not open up at all. It was really tough. And the second time I was like, right, I'm not doing that again. We're going to go and do something. What are they like doing? They like boxing. I'm going to go boxing with them. So I went boxing with them. That was a story. And then for the third story. Was this the business story yes. that you did?
0: So I think that was one of the best pieces. That and your RA story, I think, like would be in any Hall of Fame of music writing in New Zealand. And that that was so crucial to me, sort of unlocking. No, you're thinking about Six Sixty wrong. This is a band that thinks about a business in a really extraordinary way, and and you know that's why you're very good, Chris. And it is, it's a loss to this business that you're not doing yes, it.
1: Yeah, and that's what I've struggled with with Boiler Room. Right? Like I'm 45. I should be sitting back having other interests because they do have other interests and and watching the new breed come through and telling me what's good and what's current and if, if they're not getting the opportunities to spend time building those contacts. Because let's face it, some of the people in the entertainment industry, uh, they're not going to talk to you unless you've been around for, for 10, 15 years in some cases. Promoters are notoriously prickly. Mm. Uh, and yeah, um, they... They will still talk to me, so I don't know. I don't know what the answer is there, Duncan. I I, I did warn you before <laughs> before I came on that I I didn't really have any answers, barring someone coming in and, and putting a whole lot of money and effort into something that that could fix this. But hopefully, by talking about it and pointing a few fingers and and you know, I mean, I was raising least, that awareness.
0: Yeah, like certainly, like not talking about it or, or pretending that there's not something that, that's, that's changed, then I, I don't think anything, you, you can't expect it, it to resolve that way. I went to this New Zealand On Air music event last night. They've got a big report which actually came out basically as we record this uh, that, that is an attempt for them, like they, they clearly recognise that there's a there's a new music discovery problem and everyone's always trying to solve it. There's a, a new spark stuff Uh, you know, social first series that's been put out, you know, my understanding, like I'm not sure whether it is or it isn't, Uh, I'm not privy to, to, to how it's performing, but people are trying, like it's a very serious effort to try and figure out how to solve this thing and, you know, part of it is also like we are print journalists, we come from an era where we typed and then they printed it out and for a lot of people that has become a a bit of an aberrant cultural, you know, like they're much more likely to watch someone break down a new record on TikTok Mm. than they are to read a story about it. Mm. And we we just have to accept that that's gone from being the default communication mode to a weird one. And that's maybe what this comes down to. We just have to be open to that idea. And that's, that's kind of heartbreaking for us, but it's, you know, it's potentially real.
1: Yeah, totally, and I fully accept that. I'm not, I'm not really worried about that at all. I just, I think it, it can, you know, print and 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 online can still be a, a big part of the mix. You know, and they're they're tangible things that remain. You can go and read all my old Big Day Out reviews from 2004; they're still there. Yeah, I mean, it, it is weird that
0: like we as a country fund
1: audio culture, uh-huh.
0: which is a a fantastic side. It's you know I think what do they call it the the noisy library of New Zealand music or something like that. It, it functions as a as a place which catalogues scenes and bands and labels mm. historically, and that's reasonably well funded in the context of New Zealand. I'm sure that you know uh, Simon Gregory or anyone who's or Chris Burke or whoever's running it now would go. Fuck it's it's hard, but it's that is probably by far the most substantial contribution funded by New Zealand On Air to cataloguing the history of New Zealand mm-hmm. music but where, do, where does the present fit into that and I'm not sure I think that's almost the, the missing piece it almost feels like in about 2017 maybe it was 2020 with the pandemic it, it, it sort of cleaved and the, the new became a little bit less anchored.
1: I, I left the Herald in 2019 and those six jobs at Timeout still existed so somewhere between then and now those those most of those jobs have, have disappeared. I know stuff's entertainment team has been pulled into the news team.
0: Yeah, it's all it's all sort of general.
1: Yeah. So so those journalists aren't getting a chance to to work on those contacts to build up the the you know, to, to go and work on their ideas and build up those contacts and get those stories out there. So you don't have the chance to create this kind of career over time. Um yeah, that's the bit that um, gets to me because that's where I'd love to step in and, and help nurture and, and mentor and be like, hey, you know, I can I can help. I will help. Give me yeah. a call. Yeah, I will I will turn up. I'll help. I would love <laughs> to see something done about this. If anyone wants to do something, give me a call and I'll, I'll do what I can. I mean, if you're if you're listening
0: to this and don't subscribe to Boiler Room and and it's felt like a interesting discussion that's substantive to to what you know, whatever your interest in music is, I can just only uh, give the strongest possible recommendation to subscribe to it. It's a sub stack that that Chris pours all of this sort of passion and and curiosity into. Uh, And I get the feeling you're just starting rather than uh, done with, this line of inquiry so yeah look thank you so much for, for coming on the fold like I'm, I'm going to continue to kind of look at this and, and potentially write about it as well and 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 maybe have a few more guests up on it but it, it is there is a sense that there's something missing in music I like you I feel like it's print but I'm very open to the idea that it might not be um, we should also acknowledge that the people you know you referred to them like like sniffers and so on. Like some people are saying, we're out here doing it. Like, uh, give us our due. Um, maybe maybe shout the, those out the, the, again. Just the the people yeah, yeah. places where you can see this
1: stuff. Yeah, under under the radar is great for for news headlines and concert announcements and all that kind of stuff. Ambient lights doing tons of concert reviews all around the country. Uh, sniffers does a lot of hip hop and dance. I find a lot of new artists through them. Uh, and in Graham Reed with elsewhere. And and the thirteenth floor as well, so that's five. Yeah, just off the top of my head.
0: And it's interesting, right, that they are perhaps more passion driven. Though there was there are commercial elements to all of them. Where it's missing is in the the sort of mainstream publication. So, if you are curious beyond boiler room, you, you know you, it's actually just a bit more legwork. Um, and and they ha- all have vibrant communities around them as well. Uh, Hey, thanks so much for coming up, Chris. I'm, I'm such a fan of your, your work and your writing, and I'm really glad that even as you go, go into this investigative mode, which I know you're not quite a, able to talk about just yet, that you've, you've still got the, the time and the passion to put together boiler room.
1: Thanks, Duncan. I hope to return when we celebrate the return of music journalism in Aotearoa. it be a great day. It'll be a great day. <laughs>